You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. So right after the Milwaukee Brewers traded away an incredibly good pitcher that only has one year left remaining of control in Corbin Burns to the Baltimore Orioles, I tweeted out the return. I put out, here's what they got. Is Dylan Cease worth more than what the Brewers got for Corbin Burns? Is he worth more than Joey Ortiz? Is he worth more than D.L. Hall? And is he worth more than the 34th overall pick in the next draft? And four out of five White Sox fans say no. And I and I have to agree with them, Ed, that the return for Burns would not have been good enough to get Dylan Cease. And if Chris Getz would have taken that deal, I would have been angry with him. And most likely the Orioles would have to offer more. We don't know what the offer was up until this point. But I, I see nothing in that trade that has nothing to do with the White Sox that makes me angry with Chris Getz. Because until I know what he was turning down from the Orioles. I look at a guy with one year of control that's a really good pitcher, traded to the Baltimore Orioles for basically nothing. A guy who used to be a starting pitcher prospect that most people think is going to be a relief pitcher, an infielder that's basically defense first, that is uh, in the second half of his 20s, if I'm not mistaken. On his age, I'll have to look that up real quick. He's 25 years old. Okay, And, and, and a pick that is technically in the first round because it's a compensatory pick, but it's at the end of it, so uh, think of it as a second-round pick. I mean, is that really what you think Dylan Cease is worth? I would have been angry if that's what the Sox got back. So my opinion on Chris Getz should hold his best piece until he gets what he's worth continues to be that opinion. Oh, absolutely. And and I mean, you look at what they got back. Let, let's talk about what Joey Ortiz is real quick here. So Joey Ortiz, as you noted, middle infielder, defense first, 25 years old, uh... In the majors last year, a cup of coffee hit 212 with a 448 OPS. In the minors, much better, 286, 806 OPS. So, you know, he had some success. But you know what he is? He's Nicky Lopez a few years ago because Nicky Lopez in the minors hit 296 with a 782 OPS. And we know what Nicky Lopez is right now, which is a defense first guy who has managed to get to an average of 249 with a 631 OPS in the majors. So Joey Ortiz, you're getting back somebody you already have, basically, in Nicky Lopez. D.L. Hall, you hit it on the head, was a starting pitching prospect. He was a top 100 pipeline prospect. He was. That he basically was. fell out of it. Well, and, and here's here's the thing. In his minors numbers, his whip 1.293, ERA 3.49. Uh, that's over a decent amount of innings, 353 innings. But in the majors, he struggled in his own start. He's only made one start. He's made otherwise 29 appearances. And he pitched well out of the bullpen last year, but he's not a closer. And he may or may not be, at this point, worthy of a starter. And in fact, a guy that the Brewers just DFA'd to make room for these two has similar, if not better, numbers in the minors. Ethan Small, who is also a left-hander, over 252 and a third innings has a 3.14 ERA in the minors and a whip of 1.252. So he is arguably as good or maybe even a touch better than DL Hall 
he's also just had some problems in the majors. They're both left-handed starters. So really the Brewers, the Brewers are the ones I'm, I'm scratching my head at, at them a little bit because you've replaced one of your pitching prospects with a guy who profiles very similarly. And then you've gotten Nicky Lopez from a couple of years ago and a compensatory draft pick for your ace. And yeah, if, if Chris Getz had done that in any way, shape or form, that would have been a fireable offense. I would have been furious. And, and in response to a tweet asking if the Brewers got fleeced, our guest on our next show, not this one, our next show, Scott White of CBS fantasy sports. He's the main guy over there said an ace for two guys who I think will be role players. Yes, yes, I do. And I I like having him on and we're going to have him on uh, to talk a little bit about fantasy baseball in the next episode, but also uh, because that's what he does. He looks from a, from a different viewpoint at prospects and player worth to try to figure out what they're going to produce to tell people who play fantasy baseball, this is what this guy's probably going to end up being. He's great for dynasty fantasy, which is a really interesting way of looking at prospects and saying, is this person going to pan out and what is the likelihood? And I love looking at it from that perspective. Our guest today is Steve Paradzinski from ONTAP Sports. We're going to talk to him about White Sox prospects, uh, some things that worry him, some things that make him uh, excited. That's coming up here in just a little bit. And this episode of Sox in the Basement is brought to you proudly by Cork and Carey at the park. Go have a Kona beer, five bucks on draft. You don't have to, uh, to have the Kona to enter in the big contest to go to Hawaii, but it's nice to have a Kona beer. Uh, But get in there either to the location in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton or their original location over at 106th and Western and register for free for a chance to go to Hawaii. They're sending folks to Hawaii. Kona's helping them out with it. The drawing's on March 15th. See more at CorkandCarry.com. The thing that I thought of immediately after this move was made by the Orioles, which I think a lot of White Sox fans, they didn't think this. I think they saw the deal and was like, well, that's it. They're stuck with Cease to start the year. I saw it completely differently. I saw a brand new ownership group come in. And 24 hours later, less than 24 hours later, they go out and get a Scott Boris client that nobody thinks that that they would have the ability to re-sign. They may sign him. You you have no idea what this new group is going to do. And if they really want to strike while the iron is hot, while the Orioles are finally a contending team and they didn't have to give up very much to get Corbin Burns, why wouldn't they also consider going and adding Dylan Cease? Could you imagine the Orioles adding both? They have the capital to be able to make the move. They have a new ownership group that may be sitting down today talking about the vision for this team. I don't think that that trade necessarily knocks the White Sox and and the Orioles out of out of a trade possibility. I think that a trade possibility not only exists with them, but it puts on notice teams like the Yankees that may have balked a few weeks ago or a month or so ago at the cease asking price, who now must worry about a Baltimore Orioles team with a legit number one starting pitcher and a hunger to go win that division. You may actually see the cease market open back up. I think that it's an overreaction to look at a trade between two teams that have nothing to do with the White Sox and to think to yourself, well, that's it. Dylan Cease is going to be the opening day starter. He may be. He, if nobody wants to pay the price, he may be. And I'm totally fine with that for, for two reasons. One, you don't give away your guy just because you feel like you got to make a move. And then also because I believe this team is still looking at a quick turnaround and contention in 2025. And if you don't get the price, I'd rather have one year 
in that beginning of contention window of having Dylan Cease in my rotation in 2025 than give him away for nothing. I would rather have that one year because I believe this team and this general manager, they don't want to spend three years building. They want to be shooting for the playoffs in the Central Division and be competitive one year from today. And that they're going to have a lot of capital that they can spend. They're going to they're going to have a lot of guys coming off the books, and they're going to have the ability to make moves not only in season this season, but then in the off season next season to be able to get that ready. And what would be wrong with having Dylan Cease in a rotation of a team that legitimately has a chance to compete for the postseason in 2025? If that's their plan, then why? Like I get trading him. I get his value, get what you can, but if nobody's going to give you what he's worth, hold on to the guy and, and and pitch him in 25. Hold on to the guy. Stop being scared, like we talked about in the last show, that he's going to come out and have a 6 ERA because he may become more valuable as the season goes on. Stop getting ready to get rid of your players because you look at a calendar and say, oh no, in 24 months he won't be our pitcher. But for the next 24 months he is, and you shouldn't just be giving that guy away. I thought it was a Crazy overreaction by some, but as you can as you can see by the results of our poll, four out of five White Sox fans looked at that return and said, I would have been angry about that. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is if you're setting yourself up for 25, when we were talking and, and we talked about the Mariners entering the conversation and how that surrounded uh, Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, we're talking about a rotation piece that you can help build around, even if he's not an ace-level guy, but that's, that's what you're looking for. So, like, I, pitching it to the Brewers, for example, who now are ace-less, but... You know, Dylan Cease is under team control, and he's really very inexpensive this year. If I'm the Brewers and I want to compete this year, now that I've traded Corbin Burns, I might be looking at it going, hey, Chris Getz, is Garrett Mitchell or Sal Freelich uh, and a couple of our pitching prospects worth it to you? For exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors, look no further than Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. Thursday, Friday this week kind of reminded me a little bit of spring, like Chicago spring because it was like 40 degrees on Friday, but it was sunny. You may be thinking it's time to do some upgrades on the windows or the doors. No high-pressure sales with Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. You go into their showroom, you see full examples, glass designs on display, no pictures in a book, meet an owner in the showroom, have an owner on site, they use their own workers, they don't farm it out, that's how they ensure quality. They've been doing it this way for 40 years, in Oak Forest since 1985, with all major brands custom made, no stock items for a perfect fit. Go visit them today. Half Block East, 159th and Ridgeland, 6280, 159th Street, see more at windowdooroakforest.com. Joining me on the phone line right now from ONTAP Sportsnet. He is on from time to time. It's great to have him back. Steve Paradzinski is on. How are you, Steve? Chris, I'm doing well. Great to jump back on here as always. All right. So you wrote an article. You were worried from what I could tell in the article. You, you, were, you were bothered by something. I would imagine that's what it's like for writers. Like you you become bothered. Uh, you, you think about it in the shower. You think about it while you're getting groceries. You think about it while you're driving your car. And then it, and then you, you form the article that you put out there. And I read that article as you're worried that a guy like Colson Montgomery could be rushed to the majors along with some of the other prospects. Take me through this. Well, you know, most of my uh, writing content ideas usually happen early in the morning when I'm on the Stairmaster at the gym, but that's not why you called. Um, The crux of of my piece here and really the central thesis behind it is, you know, looking back historically over the last 15 years or so, the way that the Sox have rushed 
prospects out of need because of their inability to build a full complete roster you think about some of the names i mentioned in in the piece gordon beckham andrew vaughn Garrett crochet carlos rodan even carson fulmer and seeing uh, colson montgomery get listed as the number nine overall prospect when mlb pipelines um top 100 came out about a week or so ago it got me thinking and it got me concerned like they're not going to do this again please don't do this 2024 is a lost season let the guy fully develop nothing he does this year is going to impact what this team does in the standings so let him fully develop so that hopefully when this team can be good again one day colson montgomery can be a foundational piece of it so what do you need to see or what do you think the White Sox need to see? Because you and I probably won't see it as well as they're supposed to. Like the guys that they've hired, the people responsible for evaluating talent. What do you think they should see before he comes up? Because there is something also to be said for uh, there's an adjustment period in the major leagues. And if they think he's done what he needs to do in the minors and he should get that adjustment period out of the way before they become competitive, then you would say, okay, well, maybe we should get him up here and let him take some of his lumps and finish his training, per se, like any good Jedi would, at the majors at the end of his development. So what do you think they need to see from him before he comes up? I would think there's probably two things. First, on the defensive front, there have been a lot of mixed reviews about him to this point, and more so questions about his ability to stick at shortstop. So I think kind of rounding out his defensive play, um, getting some of the fundamental aspects of his fielding a little bit more in line so that they can at least try him at the shortstop position because moving a guy off a shortstop at the major leagues is not something that is uncommon. Look, it's the toughest infield position to handle on the diamond. That's why the best infielders are going to play that position. If he can't handle it, there's no shame in that, but let him stay down there and fully hone his defensive technique. I think, I think that's one aspect of it here. And then on the offensive side of it, just making sure that he's having a quality plate approach, um, having quality pitch recognition and going up there with a plan consistently. One of the things I highlighted in my piece was that in 2023, his second go around in double a, the plate discipline and strike zone management improved significantly over where it was during the stint from project Birmingham in 2022. We all talk about this frequently, how white Sox hitters seemingly go up there with no plan. They are almost allergic to walks as an organization. So just making sure he's got a sound approach there at the plate. And then also you'd like to see some of the power manifest a little bit more here. It improved uh, last year as well. So seeing that continue to take another step forward, I think would be, pretty significant. And I'm hoping that you're right that they're going to make sure that guys are ready before they come up. It's something we've talked about this offseason that the plan seems to be uh, there's got to be a professional baseball player in every position and we're not just going to hand things out like you're getting a starting role Oscar Colas. So hopefully they're going to make sure that their guys are right and ready when they get to the majors. Noah Schultz is a little ways away. I don't think anybody's expecting him this year. So, I, you know, he's going to get time to develop. But you're getting nervous, I'm noticing. I, I've seen a couple of uh, social media posts where you're just nervous that there's so many people talking about him. He's getting so much hype. Why does it make you nervous? I simply have prospect paranoia at this point. And I think you can probably couple my fear with Schultz into my fear with Montgomery and Edgar Caro and Brian Ramos. I think seeing the lack of success from the top prospects 
during Rebuild 2.0 just has me a little petrified. And seeing this much helium around Noah Schultz, uh, particularly from national guys like Jeff Passan, it just scares me a little bit and thinking that something is bound to go wrong because we're the White Sox. <laughs> That's what it is. It's White Sox paranoia. We just talked about this over the last week or so that like we've been hurt so much. We have a fan base now that looks at everything as well. This will go wrong. Right. I mean, like, that's kind of what it is these days. Oh, 100 percent. The the fear within this fan base right now, I think, is that maybe the highest level I can ever remember in my in my all or part of five different decades watching and being around this team, as the great Hawk Harrelson would say. Yeah, I mean, I also think and I'm curious what your what your thoughts on it, it seems like the majority of White Sox fans kind of fall into the camp I'm going to describe. I think that looking at the return that the Brewers got back for Corbin Burns from the Orioles. I would have wanted more for Dylan Cease than what they got back. I don't know what the offer was to the White Sox. It probably was a different offer, but it's really kind of hard to look at that and get upset, although I know a lot of White Sox fans are upset. They're like, well, why couldn't we make our trade? We don't know what the offer is, but I think that's also the here we go again, we screwed up again kind of mentality, right? 100%. I think there's a couple of different qualifiers that need to be kept in mind with this trade. Corbin Burns is going to be a free agent after this year. That additional year of control is very significant, especially for a team like the Baltimore Orioles, as they are right in the heart of their competitive window. Um, How their recent change in ownership is going to affect the way that they go out in free agency, you know, would this maybe make them more apt to negotiate with Scott Boris on a long-term extension for Corbin Burns this winter. We don't know that, but that additional year of control that Dylan Cease does have certainly factors into the calculus and is a big part of the reason why Chris Getz is holding out for as strong of an offer or as John Heyman calls it, the sun and the moon. And I want the sun and the moon. And those of you listening, you should want the sun and the moon as well, especially when it comes to your insurance. When you combine State Farm home and auto insurance, you save an average of $889. State Farm agent John Harrell is ready to help you combine home and auto and save in Chicagoland. Call now, 708-481-4500. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Average annual per household savings based on a 2019 national survey by State Farm of new policyholders who reported savings by switching to State Farm. Back to Steve here. Uh, you have a, an extreme hatred of CM Punk. Uh, I, I, I will be honest with you. I am a WWE fan that goes in and out. Of pro wrestling. Uh, you know, I, I love the Attitude Era. I disappeared for a while. The Rock came back to face Cena the first time, and I actually discovered CM Punk. I'm not going to say I was with him from day one. And then I kind of went away again, right? And now I, I saw him come back, and I heard all this hype about this WrestleMania, and I got myself to sit down and watch it, and I like the product again, and I'm kind of following it, and all I see is just this this hatred of uh, of Chicago's own CM Punk. Why do you hate this guy so much? So it's kind of funny. I am very similar to you in the sense that I'm what Eric Bischoff refers to as a lapsed fan. Um, I have gone in and out of the product over various times the way that you have. Um, When it comes to Pepsi Phil, here's what it comes down to. Controversy seems to follow this guy everywhere he goes. You know, he left WWE 10 years ago under some very tense circumstances because he was upset that he didn't get a WrestleMania main event because the company decided to use John Cena against, wait for it, The Rock, one of the biggest stars the company has ever seen. And Phil took that as such a personal affront 
instead of using him in the main event, that he went on a 10-year temper tantrum about it. He goes to AEW, has all the problems that he has, picks a fight with Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Controversy just seems to always follow him, and it's never his fault. It's always everybody else's. And to top things off, he's a Cubs fan. So, you know. (laughs) I love that. Okay, fine. I get it. He's a Cubs fan. I'll accept that. All right. Well, uh, Steve Berezinski writes for uh, ONTAP Sportsnet. Uh, I, I love having him on to uh, to chat about some of these uh, these articles that he writes because, you know, you're right. I, I look at the prospects that the Sox have right now. It's not that strong class of just names that are sitting all over the MLB top 100 list that we had a few years ago. But then again, that didn't work out so well. So I'm more concerned not with where they're rated on a list, but are they coming up ready to play for the Chicago White Sox, and are we going to get the most out of them? So I completely get what you're saying there. And uh, in a, in a lost 2024, all we can hope for is that 2025 will look a lot better, my friend. I agree completely. That's certainly the goal. Um, I know that this year is going to be a very painful one for fans in general, for people like you and I that uh, follow this team and produce content on it. So the sooner we can get this thing over and get onto the other side of it, the better off we're all going to be. <laughs> to move out of our last guest and move into our regular guest we have dave Marin, the Sox nerd and it's time now to hear what he has to bring to you and it's all brought to you by the village of lamont want to experience a downtown with real history great eats and drinks and green spaces filled with adventure visit the village of lamont shop dine drink explore there's a really big wedding expo going on this weekend get more details at lamontdowntown.com nerd what's going on chris Let's take a look, Sox nerd style, at reliever John Brebbia, who was officially signed by the Sox about a week ago. Brebbia is kind of a unicorn when it comes to the White Sox. He is the first pitcher acquired by the club who has extensive experience as an opener. That is a conventional reliever who starts the game and goes one, maybe two innings. This is a nod to analytics, which indicates a pitcher's performance declines the more times he goes through the batting order. The Rays are the best example of a franchise using the opener, employing one close to 200 times since 2016. In that time, the Sox have used eight openers covering 10 starts. The stats in those games aren't bad. Sox openers have logged a 1.62 ERA, yielding just three earned runs in 16 and two-thirds innings. The record, though, is only five and five in those games. By the way, those Sox openers were Ryan Burr, Matt Foster, Jimmy Lambert, Ronaldo Lopez, Jose Ruiz, Jace Fry, Joe Kelly, and Matt Albers. Burr and Foster are the only Sox openers with two starts. Albers was the first Sox starter in the opener era, and it happened in an unconventional manner. On July 23, 2016, Albers was pressed into service when scheduled starter Chris Sale was uh, sent home after making a few unsanctioned uniform alterations. Albers responded by giving up an unearned run in two innings, and the Sox eventually beat the Tigers 4-3 to three, thanks to a walk-off single by Adam Eaton. Brebby has been an effective opener. In 21 starts, covering 22 and two-thirds innings, he has posted a 1.59 ERA with an opponent's slash line of 214, 275, and 393. All of those starts have come for the Giants in the last two seasons after he began his career with no starts in his first 201 games. Who knows, maybe we're on the dawn of an opener era on the south side. 
My zinger, I see that Cork and Carey and Kona Brewing are giving away a trip to Hawaii. Did you know, Chris, that the White Sox were the last organization to have a minor league team in Hawaii? In 1987, the Sox AAA affiliate was in Honolulu. The Islanders, managed by Bob Bailey, finished 62-78 and 78 as the nation's 50th state set aloha to pro baseball. Some notables on that team were Steve Lyons, Ron Karkovice, Bobby Thigpen, and Mike Yastrzemski, whose son, Mike Jr., drove in the tying run in John Brevia's final win for the Giants last September 8th. The player who scored the winning run in that game? Brevia's new Sox teammate, Mike DeYoung. That's it, Chris. More than you probably wanted to know about openers, Matt Albers, that cut up Chris Sale, and the Hawaiian Islanders. So Mike Soroka said something interesting. He noted at that Boys and Curls Club event, you know, that that the the players made their appearance at, that there's a number of guys on this team that are not just playing for their next contract, they're playing for their careers right now. And I find that to be an interesting thing because when you have a team that's got its back against the wall and some individual players that really that are really staring at the abyss, you know, what is to say in terms of keeping Dylan Cease this year and and into 25? What's to say that you don't necessarily catch a little lightning in the bottle because you have guys like Paul DeYoung who this is the end of his major league career if he doesn't find a way to perform beyond just being a defensive shortstop. Nicky Lopez, this is his last chance to do anything other than become some you know vagabond uh, super utility player. Mike Soroka's got to prove that he belongs on a major league mound after all these years and all these injuries. Eric Fetty's got to prove that he's a major league pitcher and not just a guy that can go to Korea and show him some new tricks and and dominate for a year. Chris Flexen is is no longer a major league pitcher if he doesn't perform this year. There's a lot of guys on this team that are fighting not just for what happens in the future, but there's a hunger. There's a there's an absolute right, hunger. What here. you're saying, what you're saying is, okay, what if we just get a hungry team that comes out and surprises in a weak division? Yeah, it it could happen. Like I'm not banking on it, right? No, I, I you can't bank on it. That's why I'm not buying season tickets. That's why I'm I'm not investing back into the team because the owner's not investing in the team. But you're right. Like right now, Chris Getz could sit there and say, I'm not getting anything back for Dylan Cease at this point. I think that it would probably be a midseason trade at best. So now I need to go add a right fielder because this entire time he's been hoping to bring in the right fielder of the future in his return with a major league ready guy that, that, you know, you see the names that have been discussed. That's what he's been kind of looking for. So now he goes out and he actually signs, you know, an outfielder. He goes and gets Michael A. Taylor, like we suggested about a week or so ago, right? right? Like he decides that I'm going to add, you know, another pitcher into the rotation. Right. I'm going to find a veteran that can go out and eat some innings that I can stick in there. And I'm just going to I'm just going to round my team off for spring training. Let the kids compete against the professional baseball players that they should be able to beat out. And then let's see what we have walking into opening day. But, you know, that just the idea of I'm going to add a couple little pieces onto this team. They have the payroll to be able to sign a few more guys and, and maybe more hungry guys. You right. Know? And, then, and then sit there and say, OK, now I've got this group. Let's go see what they do. Best case scenario, they catch lightning in a bottle. Worst case, 
you know, we at least brought in guys that were different from what we've had here the last couple of years. We get a little bit of a cultural shift. Dylan Cease goes out and performs, and we 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 end up moving on from him. But what if all of a sudden something happens? I mean, look, this is not the 2005 White Sox, even though I always said that the 05 White Sox before that season, I think the prevailing thought of most White Sox fans was that was like the best fourth place team they'd ever seen. Like on paper, it was like, what did we just do? Right. We got rid of Ordonez and Lee. Like, we, like John Garland's never proven himself to be consistent in any way whatsoever. You know, I mean, Jose Contreras had actually been middling. That's why the Yankees weren't keeping him around. Like, there were all these things going Scott on. Scott Pesetnik was considered a fourth outfielder. A fourth outfielder. Like, it was a weird team going into that season in which nobody was picking them to do anything. Now, I don't think that's what Chris Getz has constructed. I really don't. I, I, I don't believe it in any way, but you're right. Lightning can be caught inside of a bottle. You know, Colson Montgomery could actually show all the things that Steve Parazinski said that he wants to see him show before he comes up and shows up in the second half of the season. And all of a sudden there's like a boost and you, you have no idea how a season's going to go. I won't invest a lot of money into this season, at least into the team, my own personal money. I'll invest some time. I'll watch and see what they have. We're still, we're still doing the podcast. I enjoy talking about the team. I am looking with an eye of how can you build this team into an actual contender quickly. I don't want to see the long-term rebuild. And I'm encouraged still by the fact that we aren't making deals like what the, the Brewers made. To give away a guy basically like, well, we're getting rid of him. And we're not getting much back. And it's kind of like a couple shots in the dark. Like he actually wants something that will turn his team around quickly. But, I mean, you're right. There could be lightning caught in said bottle in a weak division, and you could see some fun this summer. I mean, it would be, like, to me, I think a successful 2024, Ed, and I don't know what your thoughts are, successful 2024 for me is that the team actually just finds some kind of an identity, plays well, doesn't lose 100 games. Like, finishes, like, five games under 500, but, like, it was a good five games under 500, like, right? Like, had like had a really good summer. And you see, like, positives, and you see the front office making moves that are improving the team even in season and setting themselves up to go and do something in the offseason. That would be great. Like, there's a lot of hype right now around Mankata, which I think is funny, because for him to actually perform and get enough wins above replacement to justify them picking up the option would be he would have to have, like, a season that nobody saw coming. I don't care how good of shape he's in right now, right? Oh, best shape of his life. Best shape of his life, right? I mean, he's he's healthy. He's focused. This is contract year Mankata. Uh, we maybe maybe he comes out because it's all about the money. Yoan Mon contract. Let's see what you are. Right, exactly. Maybe Yoan Mon contract comes out and has it has a six war season, and then you do have the lightning in a bottle. Who knows what's going to end up happening with it? Oh, trade him if he does that. Right <laughs> before the deadline. Somebody, the Mariners need a third baseman. Right, but here's Go. the thing. Here's the thing. Don't give away your pieces for nothing because I just think that it's stupid. I, I I understand those that are prospect towns. I understand people that sit there and look at the clock. Don't give away your stuff just because you feel like you have to make a trade. Dylan Cease is not on a one year left. He's got two years left. 25 could be very different from 24. And you'd have been angry if you would have gotten that return that the Brewers got for Corbin Burns. Nothing wrong with surrounding talent with hunger, man. I mean, that's... Teams won with a lot less. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.